Hey everyone, it's Ramon and welcome to the Human Optimization Podcast, science-based tools to optimize your physiology, master your mind and unlock your potential. In this episode, Dr. William Lee joins me on the show. Dr. Lee is an internationally renowned physician, scientist and author of the New York Times bestseller, Eat to Beat Disease, the new science of how your body can heal itself. His groundbreaking work has led to the development of more than 30 new medical treatments, has impacted more than 50 million people worldwide, and covers more than 70 diseases including cancer, diabetes, blindness, heart disease, and obesity. His TED Talk, Can We Eat to Starve Cancer, has garnered more than 11 million views. Dr. Lee has also appeared on The Dr. Oz Show, CNN, and CNBC, and has been featured in USA Today, Time, The Atlantic, and O Magazine. Now, we recorded this early in 2020 when COVID first hit, so you'll hear us mention it a couple of times, but we're mostly going to be talking about his work on angiogenesis, what we can eat to boost the immune system, and to beat disease. Now, before we get into the episode, a quick word from our sponsor, Brain First, earth-grown, evidence-based nutrition. One of the products that I love and I take every workday to fire up my brain and get laser-like focus and interflow quickly is Genius Mode. It took me years of research and testing to formulate Genius Mode for Brain First, because I was sick of having dozens of bottles and powders to have to mix together all the different ingredients to get the effect that I wanted. So Genius Mode has the best science-backed ingredients for peak mental performance in meaningful doses supported by experimental data. I personally take it shortly after I wake up with decaf coffee and the focus and drive and motivation and mental clarity lasts all day. And best of all, there's no nasty side effects or sleeping problems that you get from some of those other supplements that have a ton of caffeine in them. Now to get Genius Mode, use code RAMON for 10% off, in addition to other discounts that you get on the BrainFirst website. Just head to mybrainfirst.com and you'll see a bunch of reviews from other people who are absolutely loving this product. mybrainfirst.com, code RAMON for 10% off and get your brain an instant upgrade. Right, let's get into the episode. No interruptions. Enjoy, my friends. Dr. Lee, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, it's great to have you here. How did you uh, become interested in this whole area, particularly the the idea of the impact of diet and the things that we can do uh, in terms of improving our health and ways in which we can beat disease? How did you get into all of this? Right. Well, so look, I'm a physician, a medical doctor trained in internal medicine. So I take care of, uh, I'm trying to take care of men and women, uh, young and old, healthy and sick. And one of the things that I uh, have come to appreciate truly is that our bodies are hardwired with health defense systems that uh, help us normally repel disease and resist disease. That's how, why when we're kids, uh, when babies are born, um, most of them are pretty resistant to sickness. And as we grow up, we tend to be um, very uh, uh, healthy, uh, most of us, uh, throughout most of our lives until um, we, we're, we're aged, uh, we're aged. And the interesting thing about health defenses is the fact that they actually exist because most of us think about health as the absence of disease when in fact health isn't just an absence of disease. It's actually these, um, hardwired systems inside our body. So think about it as the software inside the casing of our body's hardware and this software is running like, you know, um, uh, dare I say, an antivirus system. But, um, and it's not just viruses, but, you know, all, all like, a, like, a, like a whole machine trying to 
you know, give us good blood flow and circulation, which is important to keep our bodies alive, regenerate our organs, um, you know, as we need to replace uh, tissues, um, uh, nurture our healthy uh, gut bacteria uh, for digestive health, um, protect our DNA, and, and of course our immune systems are, are pretty critical. And so the, the reality is that uh, most of us are have the intrinsic ability to resist disease throughout most of our lives. And today, we're faced with this really unique situation where a human, the human body has never seen this corona, COVID-19 um, uh, virus. It's a foreign animal uh, uh, coronavirus that is um, surprise attacking our body's defenses. And, and the defenses are, haven't yet learned how to um, do combat with uh, this, uh, this alien force, so to speak. And, and that's really why this is such a, um, a, a scary menace. But let's not forget, we do actually have health defenses and the choices that we make every day in terms of our diet and lifestyle can keep us, uh, can help us be optimized in our ability to defend against disease, resist infections. And by the way, we're not just trying to resist this particular virus. There's a whole host of other things that all of us uh, have been trying to get healthier and, and prevent diseases from long before this. And those situations haven't changed at all. So I, what I tell people um, is that the rules haven't changed. We want to be able to actually do everything possible to be able to keep our body in optimal health by supporting our health defense systems. Mm -hmm. As a research scientist, I studied a field called angiogenesis, and that's a fancy word that describes how our bodies grow blood vessels. Angio is blood, and genesis is how blood vessels grow, the growth of. And it turns out that this process of blood vessel growth is quite remarkable because we've got more than 60,000 miles worth of blood vessels packed into our bodies. And this is so extensive that if you were to pull out all the blood vessels and line them up in end, you'd form a line that would encircle the earth twice. So you got to figure that these blood vessels that deliver oxygen and nutrients to every single one of our cells are, are a powerful way to be able to um, feed our healthy tissues. Um, uh, and on the other hand, uh, if you don't have enough uh, circulation, androgenesis, our tissues will die. Diseases are really sneaky, and there are many diseases that actually hijack um, our blood vessels uh, and make them abnormal, and cancer is one of those where tumors that form normally don't have blood vessels, but if they hijack our circulation and grow blood vessels selfishly as a private blood supply to feed the cancer cells, um, the tumors can grow like up to 16,000 times in only two weeks. So here you have a system that's important for health, if you don't have enough, you have a huge problem. You have too many, you have a huge problem. So what got me interested is how do we keep the body's circulation as a health defense system balanced and healthy? And how do you actually um, combat the diseases by either cutting off the blood supply to tumors? Um, uh, and, and I've been involved with uh, uh, drug development through biotechnology, and there's about a dozen or more medicines that can actually do that now that are approved um, by the regulatory authorities for use. And on the other hand, um, if you don't have enough blood vessels, how can you coax more blood vessels to grow? In other words, how do you fertilize the ground in order to get those blood vessels to grow so that your healthy tissues can become uh, um, uh, renewed and, and, and heal themselves? And, and I've been involved with helping to develop those 
medical treatments as well. And uh, so this was over the course of, you know, about 20 years that I, I was involved with this in sort of almost solely. And about 10 years ago, I suddenly um, realized that uh, when I was seeing my patients, they were often asking me what they should eat. And I could tell them, you know, what kind of medicines I should, they, they should take, but I realized I didn't really have the answer about what they should eat. And I think most of your listeners will probably relate to this because when you ask your doctor, your regular doctor, what, what, what kind of diet is good for you, you usually get like, well, eat whatever you want and don't eat fat and, you know, some really kind of surface level common sense things or worse, nothing, you know, eat whatever you want. And, uh, and it's, and usually a doctor, you know, when, when, when the medical community tends to give dietary advice, it's often kind of in a judgmental way. <laughs> don't eat fat, you know, don't eat your cake, don't do this. And I, and I realize that human nature abhors deprivation, right? I mean, that's one of the things like you tell somebody not to do something, what do they want to do? They want to do it, right? So I, what I realized though, is that the fact I didn't know what people should eat seemed wrong to me because I was never taught that information. So that set me on this journey to use the same principles and methods that I used for drug development to begin looking at foods literally as medicine. So in other words, if you had the same uh, way to actually you know, develop new medicines, how do you throw a food into that machine and figure out what the food can do as well? And when I did that, it was so eye-opening to me that you can throw, you can, you can study, do research on foods com and compare head-to-head -head against drugs. And many times, not only would the, could the foods be equal in potency, but in some cases, the foods were even more potent than the medicine. So I, it made me step back to say, all right, this is an opportunity for us to really um, move the field of nutrition forward by taking a modern scientific approach the same kind of approach that biotechnology companies take in order to be able to develop drugs to really be able to have a better understanding of our food. And not just because there's a magic food, because there's no superfoods, but really um, by, by understanding how the foods that we put into our body cause our bodies to, our health defenses to respond to those foods. And that's really what I've been spending the last 10 years doing. Uh, so after we spoke last, uh, which was, well, it feels like only a few days now. I think it was last week. I watched your TED talk, Can We Eat to uh, Starve Cancer? Uh, and then started to look at some of the literature around uh, uh, angiogenesis and uh, some of the drugs and, and those sorts of things. Uh, and for our listeners, guys, you want to check out this TED talk. Uh, it's on YouTube or, or go to um, the uh, TED website, Can We Eat to Starve Cancer? Uh, absolutely fascinating. Uh, what are what are you working on at the moment specifically? Well, I, I'm working on a couple of things that uh, interest me a lot. Number one, uh, beyond foods that can uh, help uh, balance our circulation angiogenesis, I'm really interested, especially now, in foods that can actually amplify our immune systems and help us uh, defend against uh, infection, including virus infections, better. Number one, I'm also uh, interested in looking at uh, one of the most interesting areas to me are, are actually foods that can actually help uh, amplify our body's natural regenerative capacity. So, you know, um, by what I mean by regeneration is that when we, when most of us were kids, our grade school teachers taught us that starfish regenerate 
and salamanders can regenerate, but people don't, humans don't regenerate. Well, that's now been overturned. We know that, pe- that humans do regenerate pretty slowly, but we have the ability to do it. And what's amazing is that there are certain foods that can make that happen faster. And so the idea of actually um, regenerating yourself from the inside out by what, by what we put, what we consume, by what we eat, is one of the most fascinating things that I've actually come across. Mm, mm. Uh, can we talk a little bit more about that? So what are the foods? What's the mechanism of action? What's, uh, what's going on here? Right. Okay. So, um, you know, when, when we were, you know, when, when our, our mom and dad's uh, sperm and eggs got together uh, and started to create a cluster of cells, um, uh, the earliest cells are really stem cells because they could turn into anything and then they multiplied and, and eventually, you know, these stem cells decided to um, turn into, uh, you know, uh, eyeballs and arms and legs and teeth and, and organs. Um, and uh, when we were born, uh, we still have some stem cells left. It's kind of like an extra clip of ammo, if you, if you, as it were. And, and the extra clip was largely stored inside our bone marrow. And some, some of your listeners may have heard about cancer patients that get a stem cell transplant. And that's basically when you um, have to replace your stem cells and grow back your own immune system after um, a really serious round of, of chemotherapy or radiation. But these stem cells are present in our bone marrows for everybody. Now, we, now beyond the bone marrow, we also discovered these stem cells are present in our skin. Um, they're present in, um, around our blood vessels. They're present, present in most organs. But the key thing is that uh, uh, they have the ability to come out of our bone marrow and uh, go into our bloodstream like bees flying out of a hive uh, when you have an injury and you need to regenerate part of your wound. So wound healing, you know, if you cut yourself or scrape your knee uh, in, a, in a bike accident, think about it. You, you wind up um, having all, uh, uh, an injured area that needs to seal on the top. So that's what we call epithelialization. And blood vessels need to grow to heal up. That's angiogenesis. But all that other tissue needs to actually come together anew. And that's where injury sends a signal from wherever the scrape is, a little chemical signal that is sensed inside your, our bone marrow. And then the bone marrow actually releases all these stem cells. Again, like bees flying out of a hive, going over to the field of flowers um, uh, where they begin to actually um, uh, uh, do their work to regenerate. And, and, um, and, and so this is happening in our heart, it's happening in our brains, um, which is actually a, a very, very important area to take a look at brain regeneration, which we now know can happen. Uh, it can happen in wounds. And, and we believe um, uh, it, it's also a critical uh, component of how our liver regenerates. You know, the liver in our, in our, in our, in our bellies actually is one of the few organs that you can take away two thirds of it and leave one third left and it'll regenerate the rest of it. Our lungs can regenerate as well. So what's fascinating is stem cells are part of who we are. Uh, They're critical um, in creating us when we're in the womb. They still stick around, even though it's in smaller amounts in our bone marrow and elsewhere. And they are functional um, in order to be able to replenish our bodies as they, as we need them to, but foods and and some drugs uh, uh, can actually make that kind of bees coming out of the hive uh, go faster. And biotech companies are trying to just you know get the stem cells and inject them back into your body. Mm. 
That's classic biotechnology. <laughs> but I think there's a there, I think there's an even uh, more natural approach, which is why not eat foods that can prompt regeneration from the inside out. Now that you've built this up, we're, 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 we're waiting in anticipation. What are the foods? We need to know the foods. <laughs> right, right. Well, you know, so this is, I, this is truly um, amazing. Uh, um, you know, uh, there, we know that um, some foods like uh, uh, cacao, so this is the cacao bean uh, that's used to make chocolate, and the cocoa that comes from the cacao bean is what is the dark chocolate, right? So the 80%, 90%, you know, anything over 70% is considered dark chocolate. Mm -hmm. they, that's packed with a natural chemical called flavanols, okay? And, you know, these are often thought of as antioxidants. And I, I'll tell you, I, I've always sort of scratched my head at this idea that everything's an antioxidant because that it, it's just too broad a term. Turns out that these molecules, these flavanols, while they do, while they do have antioxidant properties, <clears throat> they actually are able to stimulate regeneration. So there was a clinical study done in uh, by the University of California in San Francisco, where um, a group of researchers took um, uh, uh, patients who had cor coronary artery disease. So these are older uh, men uh, who already had blockages in their hearts, and they divided them into two groups, and they actually fed. One group kind of a uh, plus uh, a, a, a um, chocolate drink, like a hot chocolate that had that was low in the flavanols, you know, those natural uh, chemicals. Uh, and then they fed another one that was really rich. So think about it as milk chocolate versus dark chocolate, right? And they, they gave a cup of these to drink twice a day for 30 days. And they measured the stem cells in the bloodstream of these patients with heart disease. And of course, at the beginning, they were all kind of low. That's one of the hallmarks we know of patients with coronary diseases. They tend to actually have low-ish um, uh, numbers of stem cells in their bloodstream. Uh, but what was interesting is that when they actually re-measured the number of stem cells after 30 days of drinking dark chocolate, those uh, the, the people who drank the dark chocolate had twice the number of stem cells in their bloodstream than when they started. It's quite amazing. Hmm. And of course, you know, you have more stem cells in your bloodstream. That's interesting. But what effect did it have? So then they um, did a test called flow mediated dilation, which is basically a simple blood pressure cuff measurement to take a look at how well your blood flows or the flow reestablishes itself. And they found the people that, the, that those individuals who drank the high flavanol, the dark chocolate version, um, had twice the amount of blood flow that were the blood flow recovery um, uh, in this test, and so here you have a food, something that people, most people like, like as if you need another reason to like dark chocolate, mm -hmm. that actually could be that was tested in a real disease where you need more stem cells, like you know coronary artery disease, blockages in the coronary arteries, where you can actually see improvement in the number of circulating stem cells and improvement in blood flow. And that's exactly what these stem cells would be expected to do. So that's just one example. Um, but there are many other types as well. Fish oil can actually have a beneficial um, effect as well in um, the, the number of stem cells in your bloodstream. Um, uh, turmeric has also been shown to um, help prompt uh, regeneration. Uh, uh, resveratrol, which is actually a... Um, you know, component of grapes, for example, uh, but it's also present, you know, people think about it in wine, but 
Resveratrol is a bioactive that's also found in blueberries and cranberries and peanuts and even pistachios. That also can stimulate um, uh, uh, stem cells. Uh, you also have um, uh, uh, a bioactive called zeaxanthin, which you actually find in mustard greens, spinach, and watercress. Those have also been able to stimulate stem cells. Um, one of the amazing stories that I always ta uh, tell is that, um, you know, in Asia, there's a common vegetable called Chinese celery. And it's not the same thing as, you know, what we see in America as American celery, which is, you know, um, uh, crunchy, big, thick stalks, you know, with, with um, a, a few uh, leaves on the top. The, the Chinese celery is thinner. It's got more leaves, uh, and it's got a much stronger flavor than Western celery. Um, if you've ever been to a Chinese restaurant and ordered anything cooked with Chinese with celery, you'll that's typically what's actually used. What's interesting is that in China they discovered that there is a natural um, in the leaves and stalks of Chinese celery. Um, uh, there's a, uh, a bioactive, a natural chemical that is um, a little bit of a tongue twister. So I'm gonna just call it NBP, like uh, and and what's amazing is that they they realize that this NBP actually uh, uh, could not only stimulate stem cells, it and uh, it could actually um, protect the brain after a stroke. And so this NBP derived from Chinese celery was developed and approved as an actual stroke drug to improve brain circulation, lower regenerate, uh, lower inflammation, regenerate nerves in the brain. And it's one of the treatments that are actually used in China um, when patients have a stroke. And so here you go now from having, you know, the sort of general idea of, of just regenerating yourself uh, to thinking about uh, something like, oh, well, you've got heart disease, you want better blood flow, to actually, um, you know, uh, seeing this uh, natural product uh, eventually develop into a full-blown pharmaceutical, which then doctors are using to treat an, an extreme uh, uh, urgent in, uh, situation uh, in the brain following a stroke. Mm -hmm. uh, as you were talking about um, many of these different foods, one of the things that um, uh, often pops up uh, when I'm going through the evidence, going through the, the literature, and the difference between what the evidence has to say versus some sort of pop article that says, oh, okay, you need to eat blueberries. Blueberries are great for blood flow to the brain. Great. We dive into the literature and find out that, okay, this particular um, experiment had these people drinking the equivalent of like, you know, five cups of blueberries to get that effect. Uh, and then, of course, there are other studies that show, um, I'm thinking of one in particular, uh, uh, with CBD oil, like a lot of the CBD oil um, experiments are showing, you know, uh, there's a, a decrease in uh, anxiety, so it has this uh, anxiolytic effect or an increase in sleep and all these sorts of things with, you know, 300 to 500 milligrams a day over the course of a week, which of course no no one's actually going to do because of the expense of that. Sure. Most people are probably not going to eat five cups of blueberries. Mm -hmm. So um, the with some of the examples that you're talking about, um, with the foods, I'm thinking of the cacao in particular. Uh, are we talking about um, doses that are actually doable on a consistent basis? Or is there some evidence to suggest that, look, even if you take a small amount of this on a semi-regular basis, that it's going to have a similar kind of effect to what is shown in the study with these larger doses? 
Right. No, no, this is a very, very important uh, uh, question, which is, you know, in the pop uh, uh, health world, uh, you know, uh, it's very easy to just uh, assign a food, wave, wave your hand and, and make a, a health statement. And in fact, that's mm -hmm. actually what most people want to hear because it's very simple and easy to do. In reality, uh, those of us who are working, you know, deeply into the whole food as medicine field realize that in developing evidence uh, uh, for benefit, it's uh, just like pharmaceuticals. You know, you have, you know, what is the um, what is the biochemistry of the effect? What happens at the cell level? Can you study them in the lab? Um, are there any types of animal models where, you know, um, just like a just like a medicine, you're testing to see if an effect happens before you get into humans, do we see this in good disease models or models for health? And if so, what are the concentrations and what, how do you administer it? Um, uh, and then, you know, to then pop over into human studies, which, you know, for drugs is very common. Uh, uh, and, but for foods, although it's even more common perhaps, it's harder to study. And so most of the food studies um, involve large populations of people doing observations, but there are clinical trials, like the one that I mentioned about, you know, the dark high flavanol uh, cacao, uh, the dark hot chocolate, that's a very specific dose, eight ounces twice a day for, uh, for 30 days, you know, with a measurement at baseline and a measurement at 30 days, and they were able to very precisely measure the change in blood flow. So that's actually, you know, a food that has a dose and a quantity and a frequency applied over time in a particular patient population with a baseline measurement and a measurement at 30 days. That's the kind of study that I think um, we need to be able to distinguish from the types of hand wavy stuff that's out there. You know, blueberries actually are very useful um, uh, for uh, the immune system, uh, for example, just to jump over there uh, for a second. But here's the interesting thing about blueberries um, that, that have been studied. Um, that, you know, uh, uh, there's been a study of young people, uh, young-ish people, uh, uh, and looking at what it would take to, um, uh, after they're doing a workout, to actually improve their uh, immunity. And, you know, specifically, they were given bags of, of blueberries to eat every day, and it was basically, you know, ab about two cups uh, per serving. Uh, that they had to eat every single day. Uh, there's, uh, and it showed that they could actually improve their immunity. There was another study looking at blueberries, um, uh, looking for uh, metabolic syndrome, and you know how well did they actually control their blood sugars, and 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 um, uh, and, and also how their immunity, uh, how well their immune system uh, performed. And they were made a blueberry smoothie. And the question is, um, how much uh, blueberry? Uh, was there, and basically it's 12 ounces, about a cup and a half, and the amount of blueberries that were used in each um, in each serving of the smoothie was two cups, was the equivalent of two cups of fresh blueberries. And so, again, there are research studies that are very, very specific, and what I tried to do is to um, uh, make the point that it's very difficult to study food as medicine, but we can make observations both in these types of clinical studies and also in large observational studies. 
thousands, tens of thousands, sometimes hundreds of thousands of people looking at patterns, dietary patterns of what they eat and observing correlations, statistical correlations. Yeah, we do this and then we have something better, you know? And, and so we have to be very careful. I think you make a really, really important point. It's important not to overgeneralize. It's important to have um, people we talk to understand uh, the God is in the details. We really need to make sure that we're paying attention and asking the right questions. So, so this food is supposed to be healthy. How do we know? Ask that question. How much is required? We should, we should know that as well. And was it ever studied in people or was it a lab study or how do we know? I, I'm somebody that says when you ask questions, sometimes you, um, uh, uh, can really, uh, better understand what we do know versus what we don't know. And that's really important for food and health. Mm-hmm. I think that's why I settled on the uh, cup and a half of blueberries because when I, when I did the uh, um, like a search of the literature, uh, this sort of cup and a half to two cups kept popping up quite often. There were a few studies that, you know, four or five cups for this um, blood flow to the brain, that sort of thing. I thought, well, I'm not going to do that. But I think that's why right. I settled on about the cup and a half because that covered most of these sort of experiments. And I thought, well, you know, that's, that's probably a pretty good starting point, at least anyway. Right. Well, you know, the other, there's a whole other point to, you know, food and health. And I, I think that that relates to our personal preferences, right? So if you're, if you're sort of on a fad diet or just going to go for trend, if you're kind of a, if you're a hipster, just going for a trend, you know, just go for whatever the trend's going to say. But if you're really serious about food and health, um, uh, what I said in my book is that, you know, there's more than 200 foods that have been shown through research to activate your health defenses. And what you should do is, is not, not feel like you have to eat one, two, or three things. You know, this is really about starting with a list of 200 foods that are good for you. Identify the ones that you instantly recognize. Oh, man, I like that. Oh, yeah, I like that. My mind's to cook this. Um, you know, start with the foods that you love, and then you're already ahead of the game. You're not eating something you don't like. And you're eating more than one thing because diversity also happens to be important. And then finally, what I was really trying to make a point of is that um, what we eat has got to be relatable to who we are. And our food relates to our culture. And everybody has a different background. You know, our world is filled with a wonderful mix of cultures. And, you know, somebody who is from Europe might... um, gravitate towards something that resonates with their heritage. Somebody from Asia or Australia might have a different background or India. Somebody from Latin America, from South America might yet have a different one. The great news is that there's so many foods that activate our health defenses that it, you know, that, that everyone can find something that they like. Mm. And I think, uh, cause I know that we have uh, quite a few biohackers listening to this show as well. Um, I think, I'd like to just sort of jump ahead to talking about the immune system and then maybe we can go uh, back to the, the specific brain health and performance things if we've got some time towards the end. But I think just on this point of, uh, you know, me talking about the cup and a half and the dose and all these sorts of things, uh, and my listeners will know that, uh, you know, I've, I've spoken about this before, we can't get too hung up on the numbers. Like obviously we need to determine uh, how much of something that we're going to have. Um uh, w- one example for me, uh, and I think maybe we can talk about the immune system in relation to to this uh, as an overall idea. Uh, again, my listeners will know that my life largely revolves around health and improving health and helping others 
improve their health, not just to prevent disease, but also uh, optimization as well. And I've been thinking about the immune system and everything that's going on uh, in the world at the moment and, and COVID-19. And uh, so I went and got some um, bloods done uh, a couple of days ago. I uh, got the results back. I don't know what the numbers are because I don't actually get those until after this call. I wanted to have them for this call, but uh, uh, I can't get them till afterwards. But I do know that my white blood cell count is down. Uh I do actually have genetic variants that are associated with increased total white blood cell count and increased um, uh, uh, neutrophil count. I also know, you know, if I, I'm looking at the data and kind of looking at this in context, I'm hardly ever sick. When I do get sick, I get over it really, really quickly. Given all my other health markers, I'm not concerned in terms of uh, my white blood cell count being slightly down at the moment in terms of what's going on. Uh, with my immune system. Um, but I do know that many people can actually get hung up on these numbers, particularly in the world of you know wearable trackers and biohacking. And maybe you want to comment on that as well. Uh, but what are some of the things that we need to be looking out for uh, uh, and looking at specifically to help boost our immune system, even things that we need to speak to our doctor about? Uh, maybe some of our listeners already have some of their bloods taken and they've got some more data than 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 others. Uh, what should we be doing here? Right. Well, uh, so look, um, uh, numbers are useful and comforting to have because they give us a baseline and they give us something to compare uh, with where we are with where we want to be. Right, whether you're stepping on a scale or you're looking at your blood count or whether a doctor is, you know, measuring, you know, the level of something in your liver, the, the reality is is that we we all feel somehow a little bit more steadfast, more certain when we have a number to measure. But the the human body is really complicated, and you know, we only have something like sixty different blood tests that are routinely used in medicine, maybe even a few a bit fewer. Um, and yet we, we know that there are tens of thousands of molecules um, and hundreds of thousands, really, when you look at the genetics. And we don't understand, we don't really understand um, uh, how most of them uh, interrelate. And we also don't understand what the normal levels are for most of them. So, I, I, you know, what I would encourage our listeners to do is to say, you know, we all need to kind of stand humbled a little bit to realize there's much more we can measure than what we actually understand. And what we do measure really reflects a moment in time. And every individual is a little bit different from another individual. So, you know, your um, white blood cell count might be different than mine. Um, and it might actually be perfectly fine for you and, and for us to compare each other to say who's got a better immunity um, may not be a fair comparison. It, you know, um, obviously there are true diseases and health conditions that are, you know, where people are massively immunosuppressed like HIV or some cancer patients, particularly after treatment. Um, uh, and their genetic immunodeficiencies as well. But, you know, some people can operate perfectly fine with a different baseline level. We certainly see this with our blood count, which is one of the simplest things um, uh, uh, to, to look at, right? Um, you know, what, what I might be able to use as my blood, my regular blood count, uh, which might be in, you know, whatever the number normally is, might be fine for me. It might not be, and, and my blood count might not work for you and yours might not work for mine. Another great example of this is blood pressure, you know, um, uh, and, and when I was in medical school, we used to always talk about what the normal blood pressure is. 
But in relate, but in reality, our blood, our own blood pressures vary all day long. And w- yes, it's true. There are some super high blood pressures that are clearly not good um, for your cardiovascular system, your heart, and your brain. And there are some that are way too low to be able to pump enough blood to circulate your body. But you know, that's a pretty wide range. And what works for me might be different than what works for you or one of your listeners. And so I also try to tell um, people not to get too hung up on the numbers. You know, look at numbers, look at function, look at how you feel, look at what's known, try to understand how wide the variation is. And if you're only chasing your numbers, you know, that's, that, that can be very draining and actually maybe help you, maybe cause you to focus on overly focus on one thing and, and therefore maybe lose focus of the big picture. Right. So that's why I think that, um, uh, it's really important for, from a biohacker perspective to realize numbers are relative. Um, they need to be correlated with how you're actually feeling or performing. And then if you're going to try to tweak, adjust, manipulate, boost, enhance, um, or, or tamp down something, just realize that there's a range and what works for you might not work for somebody else. And you know, everyone should try to find that their own range. <laughs> I'm thinking of the, uh, the people that are like, Oh man, but my aura ring said that I only got 5% deep sleep last night and I'm used to getting seven. What am I going to do? <laughs> and, and this is a real thing. <laughs> well, I know. And, 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 you know, well, I know that. And, and so then you basically say, well, okay, so how do you feel? Well, I feel fine. Okay. Well, look, then, then you're, you were able to compensate um, for that day, and you probably don't want to be doing that every single day for a week. You'll probably feel like crap. However, you're you're able to compensate for that. So you know, and, and if it actually stresses you out to look at that number, uh, even though you did feel fine, eventually your stress will start taking down mm-hmm. your immune system as well. Mm-hmm. So you know, what I'm saying like it, it really is. You know, um, I mean, we call it systems biology, but what it really means is that you know um, everything is interconnected. Um, uh, health is about a balance of a lot of different forces and you know, there's no perfect numbers really. Mm. A complex system of systems. And we, we really should just be looking at trends, you know, in context and, Mm -hmm. and don't get too hung up on these things. Not to mention, particularly with a lot of these wearables, the, uh, I was looking at, um, I can't remember what tracker it was the other day. Uh, and, uh, they were trying to validate it with, um, uh, I think it was polysomnography, um, a polysomnography study or something like that. And um, they're showing, I think, 50% accuracy for one measurement, 64% accuracy for another. I'm like, well, come on, man. Like, I, 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 since that point, I think I've completely stopped paying attention to the uh, the numbers that it was reporting to me. I'm like, well, that that's just not acceptable. So I think we can't get too hung up on this stuff. Yeah. What are some of the things that we need to be looking out for um, in terms of boosting our immune system? What are what are some general things that we can do? Yeah, well, you know, so what's interesting about immunity, and obviously I've been asked this question a lot in the COVID-19 context. Yeah. You know, everyone wants to know, is there some superfood that I could take that could actually, you know, boost my immunity? And the answer, unfortunately, is no, there's no single food that's going to protect you or, or, or cure you. Um, on the other hand, here's an interesting thing. We know that immune, we know that there are deficiencies in nutrition that actually can really compromise your immune system. Uh, vitamin D, when it's low, actually makes you much more vulnerable to viral infections. Vitamin C, 
when it's low, can make you more vulnerable to um, uh, bacteria and, and, and viruses as well because our neutrophils and our lymphocytes, uh, the cells of our immune system, actually utilize these vitamins actually to function at their optimal level. So you're saying, oh, wait a minute. So I live, you know, in a, in a well-developed country. And so why would I be, you know, not be having enough vitamin C or vitamin D? Well, it's amazing how many people are undernourished, despite the fact that they live, you know, with a lot of food around them because they're choosing the wrong foods. It's easy not to, it's easy to have relative nutrient deficiencies by not eating properly. So this is where making the right choices can make all the difference in the world. So what are some foods that can help you, you know, keep your levels of vitamin C um, up to snuff, let's call it. Okay. So everybody thinks about vitamin C and oranges and orange juice. Absolutely. They're a great source of vitamin C. Um, but you know, there are other foods that are very rich in vitamin C, like guava, which I love, uh, tomato juice, um, another great source of vitamin C, strawberries um, as well. And, you know, going back to the guava for a second, you know, the recommended dose of vitamin C is about 99 milligrams a day in men and about 75 in women. Um, a single serving of guava is about four times the, the, the recommended dose, right? So this is like a, a good way to make sure you're not deficient is by eating uh, fruits and vegetables, diversity, and it can give you these kind of like these vital nutrients that can help support our immunity. Now, the interesting thing is, that, well, are there some things that can actually help to um, amplify our immune responses? And, and what has been shown to do that? Well, it's interesting. Um, uh, you sort of have to take a look at what it is that, that helps to boost the immunity. Well, it turns out that the gut microbiome, we now know that a lot of our immune system, actually about 70% of our immune system is found, is kind of present like in a jelly roll, uh, in a layer like a jelly roll inside our gut. And, and, and just connected uh, next to that jelly roll in the middle of our in the lining of our intestines is what? Our gut bacteria. So our microbiome, the gut bacteria, has literally is the next door neighbor to a newly identified source of immune uh, function, which is in our gut. So we've got gut immunity. And, and, and by the way, the same bacteria that connect to the gut also connect to the brain. So when we feed our gut the right things, our gut bacteria, it can actually help to enhance immunity. One of those things is a dietary fiber called beta-glucan, beta-D-glucan specifically. And it turns out that um, that's a substance that's found plentifully in mushrooms. White button mushrooms, shiitake mushrooms, porcini mushrooms, mm. um, they all have that. And, and guess what? They're not only found in the caps of the mushroom, which is what most people eat, but also in the stems of the mushroom. And so, in fact, there are more, there's even more of the beta-glucan in the stem than in the cap. Cap's got good stuff, stem's got more. And so what I tell people is that, again, this is now coming back to the culture and the culinary part of it. Um, eat mushrooms. Um, when you cook with them, you can, you can cut the stems away from the cap, but don't throw those stems away. Eat them because many cultures, you know, cook with the stems as well. So that's an example um, uh, of a food that actually feeds the microbiome, the gut bacteria that amplifies the immune system, and it's so delicious. Um, another one, a food that really has been shown to boost immunity, which is quite amazing, is um, uh, broccoli sprouts. So, you know, sprouts are basically baby plants, usually a few days old, only a couple of inches tall. Mostly, the, you know, it's, the seed is germinated and it's sprouted just this the tendril 
you know, the little stalk and just the baby leaves. And you can buy these in the market, especially in the springtime. Uh, and um, uh, and they're, they're really nutty. They're kind of delicate. Um, you can put them in a, in, a, in a smoothie. Well, so there was a research study done where they actually took young people who were going to get the flu vaccine, right? And they um, wanted to find out if you um, split this group in half and you gave half the group a um, shake made with broccoli sprouts. Okay, so a couple of handfuls of sprouts you put into a shake in a blender and they had them drink as compared to a group that didn't have the shake. And then they gave the, um, they were young kids in college, uh, the flu uh, vaccine. And what they found was amazing. They found that, that drinking the broccoli sprout shake amplified the body's immune response to the flu vaccine wow. by 22 times. 22 times. Wow. It's amazing. <laughs> and then when they actually swabbed the nose where they you know, put the vaccine, this was a nasal vaccine spray, they actually found that the people who drank the broccoli sprout and got the vaccine, of course, had almost no flu virus particles left in their nose, whereas the other people still had a little bit of flu, flu, um, flu virus kind of hanging around. And so this is an example, not of food replacing medicine, but food and medicine working together mm hand in hand. And I think this is another kind of lesson that I always try to uh, teach people that, you know, although there are a lot of sort of people who are in a naturopathic world that don't believe in, you know, regular medicines, I happen to be a doctor that, you know, helped to develop medicines. And I believe that the judicious use of the right medicine for the right people at the right time can be life-saving. And so you never want to throw the baby out with the bathwater, but what if you could actually use food as an, as an additional tool in a toolbox? What could we do to help people get better when they're already sick? And particularly with COVID-19, you know, we don't know how to really prevent from getting it other than self-isolation, washing our hands, you know, social distancing, all that kind of stuff. Um, uh, but, but if we were to be sick what cho and, and, and at home sick uh, you know, and recovering, what should we be eating that could actually help our boost our immunity? That's something that I'm I'm really now diving, having a really close look at at the moment. Mm -hmm. uh, when you were talking about the uh, beta glucan, I thought you were going to say oats. Yeah. How, how does the how do oats compare to mushrooms? Uh, oats also have beta glucan. In fact, uh, some studies have shown that the beta glucans from oats actually have a slightly more potent ability to activate uh, immunity. Uh, we don't know exactly uh, why that is, but you know there's so many things you can actually do with oats. And and by the way, oats also, besides beta glucan, also have another another bioactive called avananthramides, which um, are remarkably anti-inflammatory. And here's another kind of lesson that I try to you know kind of in, in parts share my knowledge on, which is a lot of people talking about you know immune influencing foods as anti-inflammatory foods. And I can tell you as, uh, as a physician, inflammation can be a really good thing, a little bit for a short period of time. You don't really want to wipe out all your inflammation, uh, otherwise you wouldn't be able to resist anything uh, or repair anything or clean up anything that actually is damaging your body. So you want a little bit of inflammation. And immunity is the other side of the equation where you know, you're attacking invaders and then, uh, and then removing them uh, altogether. And so this idea, you know, like again, the details are really important, being as specific as you can and understanding what foods do and not just waving your hand and saying that, you know, blueberries will, you know, <laughs> prevent aging. Like that's just, that, 
that sounds good. It's a good soundbite, but it's ridiculous because we know that doesn't happen in real life. We, what, but where we are today is at the beginning of a new era where we can actually apply the principles of science to really try to knuckle down and tease apart how these things really work. Mm. Um, guys, we're coming to the end of the show. Uh, uh, Dr. Lee, I'd really love to have you on in a future episode so we can talk more about brain health and performance uh, and improving cognition and those sorts of things. Uh, in terms of what we've been talking about in this episode, uh, any final thoughts for our listeners? Yeah, I think that, um, uh, you know, uh, particularly in the, in the time where we're all um, concerned about our health, there's, there is no time more important than now to think about the impact of what we choose to eat on a daily basis. We want to eat um, uh, 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 foods that are going to help our body's health defenses. And what I want to leave people with is that the rules haven't changed, even, uh, you know, even with COVID-19. We want to eat whole um, foods, mostly plant-based, uh, fruits and vegetables, legumes, nuts are incredibly um, healthful, and they activate our body's defenses. And when you're going out shopping, don't just grab the boxes and the cans and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, it's amazing when I go to the grocery store uh, these days, um, I'm seeing like the meat counters empty and the produce shelf mm. is overflowing. Mm. Um, and I'm thinking, wait, people are leaving the good stuff behind because, you know, our these are the things that the fruits and vegetables are the things that activate our immunity. So um, don't be afraid, lean into the fruits and vegetables, buy those. Um, I don't think we're going to be short of food, um, but eat the things that are healthy that we need this more than ever before. Guys, the New York Times bestseller, Eat to Beat Disease. You need to have this on your bookshelf, even if you're not a cover to cover uh, type reader. Uh, it's a great resource to have, you know, even when you're thinking, oh man, what can I eat that's healthy? You can just go to the book and then select some of the foods that you enjoy. Uh, knowing that it's going to be helping to uh, boost your immune system uh, and and contribute to health and longevity and and brain health and performance. Uh, and of course, don't forget your mushroom, broccoli, sprout, cacao and blueberry shake on top of your oats. Dr. Lee, thank you very much for being on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks very much. The pleasure was mine. So that's it for this episode. If you want to support the show, make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, drop a five-star review, and of course, you can connect with me on social with the links in the description. Thanks for tuning in. Talk to you soon.